one day I was watching a group of birds on their way south for the winter, wishing I could sprout wings and join their covey. And as I watched them busily engaged in their pursuit of pleasantness, I flew to Jeremiah chapter 8 and read, Yea, the stork in the heaven knoweth their appointed times, and the dove and the crane and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people know not the judgment of the Lord. <clears throat> As I watched these birds, I realized that by some strange instinct, they knew the way, exactly where to go. They have no road to follow. They have no maps to chart. No covey, a con uh, or a convoy is, is by their covey. No signs point the way. They see no landmarks. They own no compass. They follow no radar. They hear voices from no tower, and yet they never miss their way. <clears throat> they know exactly where to go. There's something on the inside of these creatures that tells them exactly where they're supposed to go. We see this chirping congregation gathering around the gables of houses before wintertime comes, preparing for their flight for the cold season. And soon we miss this feathered choir of twittering cherubs, for they, as usual, have departed on schedule. They hear no weather forecast. They own no calendar. <clears throat> no alarm has been sent to remind them. Yet they leave on schedule. They fly on schedule. They arrive on schedule with a predictability that makes TWA American United and all those that fly, fly the friendly skies envious of the schedule that these feathered friends keep. These merchants of mirth simply continue their flight on schedule. <laughs> they arrive at the exact destination at the exact time. Now, why is it? I don't understand why it is. God has placed instinct in these creatures and they instinctively know when to leave, how to go, where to go, <clears throat> when to arrive, and they never are off schedule. And the prophet looked at these, or some of these birds as they were flying, and he said, the swallow knows instinctively and intuitively what time to leave and where to go, when to arrive. The crane, likewise, has that same instinct. The dove has it, something on the inside, where divine radar connects with this feathered flock and tells them it's time to leave. It's instinct, God-given instinct. And God said, you know, <coughs> I've given the, the, uh, the um, swallow instinct and he responds to it. I've given the uh, dove instinct, and he likewise responds. I've given the stork instinct, and he likewise responds. I'll guarantee you the stork sure responds around this place. Uh, and leaves evidences galore of his presence with us. Mrs. Anu, I have an idea, wishes the stork would go south for the winter. 
They're talking last night about all the nursery plans and nursery problems and so forth. But God says the, the crane has instinct and he, he, he follows it. And the stork has instinct and he follows it. And the dove has instinct and he follows it. And the swallow has instinct and he follows it. But he says, <coughs> would God that my people had the willingness to follow their God-given instinct. Now what is the instinct that man, man doesn't have the instinct to go south for the winter. I wish he did. But he doesn't. Man doesn't have that, that instinct. But man has some instincts the stork doesn't have. And man has some instincts that the swallow doesn't have. And the dove doesn't have. And the crane doesn't have. What are those instincts that God has given to man? In the first place, there's an instinct inside of man that says there is a supreme being. That's as much a, a human instinct as a desire or, or an instinct to go south is an instinct in the bird. Man, in every man, there is, a, there is an instinct that says there is a supreme being. Go to Egypt, and you'll find the great Egyptian empire was possessed of an instinct that man lives after death. Look at the pyramids, which are simply giant tombstones. Look at the graves and then tombs of the kings down near Luxor and Karnak in Egypt. <coughs> Look at the... The civilization, the ruins of the, the Grecian civilization, or the Indian people, or the African tribes. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, man in his natural state believes there's a God. And if man does not believe there's a God, he's been tampered with by some vultures who have destroyed his dove-like instinct to obey God's call and God's plan. Tis the so-called elite educated man that has learned there's no God. He has dulled his instincts. He has, he has had his instincts uh, washed over or painted over with man's uh, philosophies. Turn me down just about that much, please. <coughs> man's philosophies. They no longer believe, believe there's a God. Now, there's an, now, what God is saying is this. God is saying that the swallow that flies south has more sense than the Ph.D. does who doesn't believe there's a God. The crane that flies toward the south who leaves when God says leave and, and flies when God says fly and arrives when God says arrive and arrives where God says arrive, that swallow, that crane, that dove, that stork has more sense than the egotistical, self-acclaimed expert, self-acclaimed educator who has dulled his instincts, that's, what, that's why a child needs to develop response to divine instincts before he learns the things of uh, so-called education. Teach a child first the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Get him saved. Get that child to believe every word in this book is the word of God. And if you want to call that brainwashing, call it brainwashing. <coughs> teach him right and teach him wrong. Because there is in the breast of every single little child a desire to believe there's a God in heaven. Man has other instincts. Not only is there an instinct to believe there's a supreme being, but there's an instinct to believe in man, there's an instinct to believe in life after death. Leave man alone, he'll come up with a happy hunting ground for the future. Leave man alone, and instinctively he'll accept the fact that after a man dies, he lives somewhere forever. And God says, 
Would God man would follow his divine instincts like the swallow follows his divine instincts. The birds who feel instinctively, intuitively, that there's something that they ought to leave. It's time to go. We do not know what makes them feel that way. But there's something that says, uh, a divine instinct that says it's time to go. And they obey that instinct and always go. Little birds go and middle-sized birds go and parent birds go and children birds go and old birds go. There's something on the inside. And those birds follow that instinct and because they do, they're preserved through the winter. And God said, would God that man would act upon the instinct to believe there's a God and there's a life after death. There's a third thing that man believes instinctively, and that is by nature he's a sinner. And the fourth thing <coughs> man believes instinctively is that there must be a substitute die for man's sins. They tell me in the remotest islands of the seas, in the most savage tribes of the back country, that people who've never heard the Bible, never heard the story of Jesus, by nature, when our missionaries arrive there, they find that these people are offering sacrifices. It's instinctive, it's, it's an instinct to man that he is a sinner and that he's a sacrifice. And you leave man alone and <coughs> don't get these stupid Darwinian evolutionists around him and man will believe that he needs a sacrifice. And that is an instinct. Listen, that instinct is placed there by God Almighty because God offered himself as the supreme sacrifice on Calvary for the sins of man. And God said, if I can put in man an instinct to believe instinctively that, that he's a sinner, they has to have a substitute for his sins. And when somebody comes along and tells him that Jesus was that substitute and Calvary was an altar and Jesus was a lamb, then that man will accept God's provision. God put it there because God loves us and God wants us to accept his plan of grace. Now, when these instincts are dulled by educators, they're not usually found. Have you ever noticed that when God gives an appetite, He also gives the fulfillment of that appetite? God never gives a man an appetite without giving man a way to fulfill that appetite. I have an <coughs> appetite called hunger. And God put it there. And that's why God put the pecan trees in the field. And that's why God made the coconut. And that's why God made the strawberry. And that's why God made the pineapple. And that's why God gave us herbs and vegetables. Why? Because God never gives man a hunger for anything without fulfilling the satisfaction and giving satisfaction for that hunger. God gave me an appetite for food and God gives me food to eat. God gave me an appetite, uh, thirst for water and God gives me water to drink. God gave me a, a, a hunger for being loved and God gives me folks to love me. And God gives me a hunger to love and God gives me folks to love. And God gave me an instinct to believe that there is a supreme being. Now would you tell me why God would give us all these appetites and give us the answer for full fulfillment for every appetite and then give us an appetite to believe there's a God in heaven and not be a God in heaven? You know why I know there's a God in heaven? For many reasons. But one reason I know there's a God in heaven because I believe there ought to be a God in heaven. And that's a God-given instinct. And you folks today, 
All you folks today who don't believe in God and don't believe in heaven and don't believe in hell and don't believe in sin and don't believe in a sacrifice for sin, you've been tampered with. You haven't got as much sense as the, as the dove because some vultures and other buzzards have gotten hold of you. And they've taught you some things that you ought not to know. As sure as there is a pulpit here and as sure as there's a microphone before me, there is a God in heaven. Because God has given man instinctively a craving for a supreme creature. And there is a heaven, a life after death because God has given man a hunger to live after he dies. And there is a substitute, Jesus, because God has given man a desire and a hunger and appetite. Or something to die so he will not have to die. Would God we had the sense of the birds. You said here this morning an unsafe man. You haven't got the sense of a swallow. You say you haven't got the sense of an antidote. I'm not sure God says that in the Bible. But God does say you don't have much sense of the stork. I hate to think that a bird flying south had more sense than I did. You say, for the house, what are you saying? I'm saying that birds obey their instinct that are God-given. And there is not a person in this room this morning unless you've been tampered with and are hiding behind some kind of superficial uh, uh, pseudo-education and uh, some kind of a, of a, of a, of a, shallow, of a shallow depth and, a, and an ignorant intelligence. You're hiding behind it because you want to be considered intellectual to the intellectual crowd. What there, there is in every single person, there is a hunger for God Almighty. fellow stood right over here one night. He said, I don't believe in heaven. Why, he said, you stood up there tonight and then talked about heaven. He said, I don't believe that you go to a place of golden streets and gates of pearl where you live forever and never get sick and never get hungry and never sin and never get tired and there's no darkness or disease or heartache. I don't believe it. And I looked at him and pointed my finger in his face and I said, you may not believe it, sir, but don't you wish you could? Tears went down his cheeks as his lips quivered, and he said, Mister, I'd give anything in the world if I could believe that. Well, you would believe it if you hadn't been tampered with. <laughs> because man by nature has the desire for God Almighty. I recall going over to Gary one time, soul winning on, on the east side of, west side of Gary, knocked on a door. The little lady that had been reared in Italy, she'd never heard the story of Christ. Her name is Mrs. Noble. I knocked on her door, went in, and I said, Mrs. Noble, I, I heard you came to our church with some, with some people visiting the Davises, I think it was, last Sunday. She said, yes, I did. And I said, I've come to tell you a wonderful story. I said, uh, there was once a man in the Garden of Eden. His name was Adam. <coughs> she said, what was his name again? I said, Adam. She said, how do you spell it? I said, A-D-A-M. I mean, little friend Gary. Never heard of Adam. He had a wife whose name was Eve. Eve? Adam and Eve. Yes. I said, God made Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, and they had fellowship with God every day. She said, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that nice? And I said, one day, Adam sinned, Eve and Adam sinned. And she said, oh, no. And I said, they're separated from God. She said, how awful. She had never heard. She was almost 70 years of age, but she took it as a child. Why? She hadn't been tampered with. Now, if this feathered flock flew to the North Pole for winter, <coughs> they'd not be any more foolish than men who fly away from their God-given instincts 
to find refuge in their God. Suppose you saw some birds taking off up north, and you follow those birds, and they go across Alaska and head to the North Pole. Where are you going? Going to the going for the, going out for the winter. What for? <laughs> We're just gonna go keep warm. A bird can come as near keeping warm in the North Pole as you can finding peace in the world. God didn't make the bird for the North Pole in the wintertime, and God didn't make your never-dying soul for a pagan heathen world. Some flight of money to satisfy an appetite which simply increases itself in its cravings. <laughs> nobody's ever been, ha been made happy with money. A lot of folks have killed themselves because of too much, but nobody's ever found joy because of it. A lot of folks have gone crazy because of it. Nobody's ever gotten saner because of it. And you ill-advised and deceived birds who fly toward money to make you happy. And the appetite is simply increased and your cravings become more and more for more of what cannot bring you happy. Happiness. Some fly to popularity only to find that the approval of man cannot satisfy an appetite for divine acceptance. And some fly to strong drink or lowly lust to find that physical food and cannot satisfy soul hunger. There's something inside your breast that hungers for God. And money will not fill that appetite, satisfy that appetite. And pleasure will not satisfy that appetite. And popularity will not satisfy that appetite. And sex will not satisfy that appetite. And drink will not satisfy that appetite. And, and, and fame will not satisfy that appetite. And power will not satisfy that appetite. And pleasure will not satisfy that appetite. There is an instinctive appetite in every person in this room this morning for fellowship with a God in heaven who can take him to a place after he dies where he can live forever without the pain and sorrow and heartache of this world. And you're not going to find <coughs> satisfaction for that unless you come to the Christ who's made to fill that, in, that void. As I watched these feathered creatures, I wondered what happened to the young ones. <coughs> Those newly hatched ones, those who have not seen a sunny shore yet, or those who are novices in travel, I wondered what happened to them when the time comes to go south. But I noticed this. I noticed these young birds follow the older birds who've been there. <coughs> the older birds come back and they convince the young birds that there's a better place than this. And there is. I was there Monday, flew to Florida, Monday. But I didn't have as much sense as the birds. I flew to the wrong part of Florida. 31 degrees Monday night, freezing Monday night. And you're laughing as if you enjoy the fact that I froze Monday night. I noticed something. I noticed that the older birds come back and let the younger birds know that there's a land that is fairer than day. And the younger birds go with the older birds. <coughs> As the feathered flock takes off from the runway, I notice that no little ones linger behind. Well, they have more sense than our little ones have. <coughs> they believe their parents who come back and say, there's a sunny place in the south. They believe their instincts. They believe, and so they join the older ones 
who've been there and seen it and come back. Would God man had that much sense? Would God our young people have enough sense to believe the older ones who've been there and back? Would God our young people have enough sense to believe these, some of these mission men up here and others of you who tasted the dregs of sin and found out that the beauty of sin is only a page in some wicked uh, magazine or only a, only a commercial on television and they find out that the men of distinction becomes the man of extinction. One of the men to told me last week he was a preacher for nine years a preacher. He told me after I'd preached the message Sunday night, he said, he said, Brother Hiles, if those young people would just listen to me for a while, I'm 60 years old. My life has been wasted. Why? Because I left the ministry and went into sin to drink and sin and left the will of God. He said, if they'd just listen to me. Young people, you better listen to some of these folks who've been there and come back. Birds do. Birds do. And then there were those who were parents, mom and dad birds, those whose nests are well feathered. It was not as easy for them to leave now, for they have a thriving business, maybe selling worms. <clears throat> or maybe they're in business now on nest enlargement and repair. <clears throat> or perhaps selling nests to migratory birds. And so it's not as easy for them to leave. Tis much easier for the little chirping bird to leave who's just been hatched. He has no strings attached back home. He has no reason to stay. He can follow his instincts a bit better. But those parent birds who've, who've made their nest a little bigger and added a few little rooms onto their nest and they become a little bit more affluent than others. It's just harder for them to leave. Yet they obey their God and leave all. Would God the human race had that much sense? Look out, business owners, lest you become so infatuated with your earthly nest, you seek or you refuse to obey the instinct to give your all to God. <clears throat> look out, lawyers. Look out, doctors. Look out, executives. Look out, teachers. Look out, professional people. Look out, successful people. If you don't watch it, those instincts will be dulled and you'll still come to church but you'll not serve God and you'll still believe the Bible but you'll not read it much and you'll still believe the plan of salvation but you'll not tell it much. Why? Because you become father birds and mother birds and you become so busy in your own nest you'll not be concerned about following God's instincts. Let me tell you, if you're 15 or 50, you do what God says and you serve God with your life. And then there are the older ones. I notice they joined the flight also. Their wings are worn. And their flight is a weary one. And their coat has lost its brilliance. And they love to sleep in their own nets and they take no pleasure in travel anymore. And yet these veterans of flight wearily follow the guidance of nature and obey it to the end. And that's a lesson to the senior citizens. Some of us have the first plates of snow on our brows. But the hardest senior citizen has a hunger for God. The man that sits behind the president's desk of the biggest bank in America has a hunger for God. I talked to a banker not long ago. <coughs> Big banker, vice president, giant bank. 
I spoke a few words to him. I said, Sir, do you know if you died, you'd go to heaven? Behind that hardness, he said, No, I don't. But he said, I've thought about it a great deal lately. And though I failed in leading him to Christ, at least I learned one thing that I've always known. And that is, there is not a person, regardless of his stature, regardless of the condition of his feathers, and regardless of how high he's flown, regardless of how long he's flown, regardless of how far he's flown, or regardless of how many other birds obey his command to fly. It doesn't matter. The president in the White House has a hunger for God. The president of the biggest bank has a hunger for God. Mr. Hunt had a hunger for God. J. Paul Getty had a hunger for God. Never has been, never will be. A man, no matter how old he is, or a woman, no matter how old she is, how Madeline Murray has a hunger for God, and the very, the very fact that she fights God means that she believes there's a God. She's no atheist, she's a big liar. And so older people, disturb your nest, stretch your wings and follow your instincts and launch your flight to the land that is fairer than day. For by faith you can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. When I was a little boy, I felt a desire to fly. When I was a little boy, I felt there must the instincts that God has given me. God did not give me an instinct to go south for the winter. God gave me an instinct to go north for the old age. I have no instinct to go south for the winter. And the strange thing, if I picked out a place to go in the south, it'd probably be a cold wave. But the birds know where the cold waves are going to come. How, I don't know, but they know. But just as birds have an instinct that I do not have, I have an instinct birds do not have. And the instinct that I have, as a little bird, was that there was a God. Mother told me that, and I believed it simply. I also believed there was a life after death, and Mother told me that, and I believed it simply because I had an instinct to believe it. And, uh, and uh, I, I believe, uh, Mother told me, that Jesus died for my sins. And I had an instinct to believe it, and I believed it. And they told me if I'd receive him as my Savior, I could be saved. And it was just natural for me because as birds have an instinct to leave the wintertime, I, I have an instinct to trust Christ as my Savior. It was not that I met some University of Texas vultures that I had any doubts at all. It was not that the scientific buzzards began to circle around my little nest. I had any doubts at all. When I was University of Texas, North Texas branch for one year, I began to doubt. I had enrolled to study under vultures who tried to keep me from the faith of my youth. Until one day I consulted the logbook and found I was on the right path all along. I'm trying to say, ladies and gentlemen, that you have an instinct to believe in God. Act on it. And don't let your professor in some university use threats of saying you're not intellectual to act upon the instinct to believe there's a God in heaven. You know you believe it or have an instinct. You know you want to believe it. You may not, you may say this morning you don't believe in life after death, but you know you want to. So don't let Dr. Somebody and his threats to blackball you uh, educationally let you fail to act on the divine instinct that there's a life after death and Jesus can take you there. Don't go to hell because of doctor somebody who's, who's, who's a buzzardly has, has dulled your instincts given by God Almighty. Last week, I was with Dr. Robertson, one of my heroes for a couple of days. 
heard him tell once again a story that I'd heard before. Saw part of it. <laughs> Dr. Evans knows it far better than I. For he spent 11 years or more at Tennessee Temple College and Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga. He told again Dr. Evans of the death of old Dr. Weigel. Old Dr. Weigel was an evangelist. <laughs> Lived down in Florida, I think, all alone. And Dr. Robertson was there one time and found him and brought him to Tennessee Temple College and gave him a lovely apartment back in the back of what was called the Weigel Music Center, which building I dedicated one time at the request of Dr. Weigel. And Dr. Weigel was about, oh, over 90. He came to our church here and spoke one Sunday morning during Sunday school and got all happy and raised his hands and began to shout and praise the Lord. Nobody ever knew Dr. Weigel and came away the same as he was before. When Dr. Weigel was 90 years of age, he called Dr. Robertson in and said, Dr. Robertson, would you pray for me? And Dr. Robertson said, well, for what, Dr. Weigel? He said, would you pray that I live to be 100? Dr. Robertson placed his hand on Dr. Weigel's brow and prayed that he'd live to be 100. Dr. Weigel lived to be how old, Dr. Evans? When he was 96 years of age, one day he called Dr. Robertson in and said, Dr. Robertson, would you pray for me again? Dr. Robertson said, what should I pray for? He said, Dr. Robertson, I don't think I want to live to be 100. I think I want to go home. He said, would you pray that the Lord will take me home? Dr. Robertson bowed his head and prayed for Dr. Weigel to go on to heaven. <laughs> Dr. Weigel went over, picked up the telephone, called the local hospital and said, get me a room. They said, what's wrong with you? Are you sick? He said, no, I'm not sick. I'm just going to go home. And I thought it better to go home in front of somebody than it would by myself here at the room. <clears throat> Reserved a room in the hospital. Went down to the hospital perfectly well, nothing wrong. Called Dr. Robertson in said, Dr. Robertson, I'm going to go home now. Within two days, he was gone. Instinct. God spoke to him. And God told him. There's an instinct in every person in this room to believe there's a God in heaven. Act on it and receive him. There's an instinct in every person in this room to, to, to believe there's a life after death. Act on it and prepare for it. There's an instinct in every person in this room to believe that Christ died for sinners. Act on it and believe it and trust Christ and his death on Calvary is your hope for heaven. There's an instinct in every person in this room that God in heaven has a will for your life. Act on it and follow his will. There's an instinct in every child in this room to obey mother and dad and to believe what mother and dad says about right and wrong. Act on it and take the advice. There's an instinct in every mother and dad in this room to, 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 to do God's will and to leave your downy nest of pleasure and comfort and, and security. Act on it and serve God. There's an instinct in every tottering senior citizen regardless of how old or how weak or how frail or how sick. There's an instinct in you to come to your Christ and receive him and live for him until you take your flight. And this robe of flesh, you drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize and shout while passing through the air, Farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer.